0: Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by my colleague, James Salzer, our state house veteran. He's here to talk about some of the biggest primary election surprises, which include many legislative upsets. Buenos dias, James.
1: <laughs> Buen dia. Uh,
0: so James just returned from a, how long, two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks in Spain. Yeah. Where you missed the election entirely, and you pledged to me before you left that you wouldn't look at the results, but I take it you did.
1: Yeah, the morning, uh, um, the morning of the election, or excuse me, the morning after the election, I uh, went on the uh, My AJC and looked up the results the election and there were a lot of things that surprised me
0: yeah so when you when you woke up and had that gorgeous balcony veranda look over a seaside in uh, and and, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what, what was the biggest shock to you because we were right in the thick of it here
1: yeah there was a there was it, was it wasn't just one thing i mean there was a lot of legislator legislative uh kind of i don't know if they were upset or not but i mean there were i think what seven or eight legislators have lost eight. their seats um including some that i didn't really see coming um the the i mean if you start from the top uh i would have projected you know just looking at things looking at polling and kind of the sense of what we were seeing that uh casey Kagel would get you know well you know, between 40 and 45 percent probably in the mm. primer and that was surprising i wasn't all that surprised that brian kemp came in second but i was uh casey cagle did a little bit less
0: he got about 39 percent. yeah he
1: did a little bit worse than i thought he would do um and And then the size of the victory by Stacey Abrams was was pretty impressive. I mean, um, a a candidate who was running a historic race, but also was running um, um, pretty straight up um, liberal politics, liberal policies, a lot of cases, a lot of things um and she just cleaned the clock
0: 53 point victory I and mean, all signs pointed to an abrams victory but yeah a 53.1 yeah
1: i mean i think everybody thought i mean i was talking to people before and i, I think they were th- thinking like you know 15 20 percent you know they thought she was going to win um but you know both sides had you know good campaign staffs professional teams and, but it was uh it was it was ugly it was a that was a you know, pretty one-sided.
0: and, and the fact that um, Democratic turnout really did surge, I mean the, the Abrams campaign focused so much about mobilizing and energizing Democratic voters. when you compare it to 2010, which is the last competitive primary Democratic primary for governor we had because in 14 Jason Carter went unopposed, there was a huge uh, increase, especially 20 plus percent increases in the counties where Democrats really wanted to see those increases. the uh, cab, uh, Clayton, um, Gwinnett County in, in Chatham County or, or four of the five I can't remember the fifth but those were the counties where they really needed to see a big jump and they did
1: well it was I mean in the entire election that was an interesting you know phenomena that you know we've all covered I mean I was here when the Democrats uh, ran the state I covered the election uh, when uh, Sonny Perdue beat Roy Barnes and kind of things started switching the other way and um, I'm not saying this is the, this this is that year uh, by any search of the imagination, but it, it is interesting that that the numbers are closer than they've been in a long time in terms of you know so that maybe that says something about uh, Stacey Abrams' strategy. I don't know if it does or not, but it might it might say it might show that you know this is a year where it's a little bit more even than it's been in the past. I think in, I think what, what did Governor Deal get? Fifty four percent against Jason Carter or something like that, mm-hmm. and that's kind of been the standard of Democrat Republican uh, the last few. Cycles. It seems like in in these statewide races, it's been 55 percent for Republicans, forty five, whatever for for Democrats. So that's been kind of the the standard. So uh, it'll be interesting to see you know if that changes.
0: And when the and when states tend like when Georgia t- flipped, it wasn't just in this one big tidal wave. It was a more gradual. I mean, the biggest race was the governor race, but but years before that, Oxendine won insurance commissioner, and Republicans started getting footholds in state offices. And and that's where Democrats really are looking as well down the ticket to offices like Secretary of State where John Barrow's is running, or Lieutenant Governor where Sarah Riggs and Miko are running. And that's where we saw some of these surprises too, right? I mean, we saw oh, jo- yeah. jo- Josh McCoon.
1: Yeah, that was that, another guy. Was, it was the reason that was surprising to me um, is because he works. He's worked so hard. Mm-hmm. He, you know, w- while the rest of us are, you know. Um, uh, laying on the couch or or cutting the grass or whatever we're gonna do on the weekend it seemed like every weekend I'd, I'd go on social media and Josh McCoon would be speaking to some Republican group I mean he was it seemed like he was working seven days a week plus um and uh so I was kind of surprised that that he didn't that was one of the surprises another one that would that surprised me a little bit it wasn't quite the, to that to that extent was that um uh that um David Schaefer got nearly 50% in that race He came and, so close to winning, yeah, that right. And 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 um I kind of thought, I mean I kind of thought he would lead in that race, but it wasn't like we saw like a ton of media. I mean it wasn't something that like, you know, evident that was really evident that he was the dominant candidate in the race, but he has worked, you know, as as you know because he calls both of us when he gets an endorsement from someone, um he's he's worked the endorsements really hard. Um you know, he's done, he's done the right things and you know, the the allegations against him really didn't stick in the end. Um, and so I, I, I kind of thought he was one of the guys, he was like, I thought Casey Kagel would get 44, 40, 45%. That's kind of what I thought David Schaefer would get so. Um, so he outdid so he almost, yeah. I mean, he almost, got, he almost, yeah, he almost made it without a runoff.
0: And that's the hard thing about these down-ticket races. There's, there's, there's a lot of polling. There's a decent amount of polling for the governor's race, but there's very little polling, even internally, for the um, for these down-ticket races. And most of the polling did show huge gaps of undecided voters. I think it was seventy percent in the Democratic race and something like fifty percent in the Republican uh, race, at least from from our polling of the, of the lieutenant governor's race. Uh, so a, a lot of it just came down to name ID, and um, and Schaefer, you know, used that name. He he had about a million dollars of campaign contributions half, yeah. that he that he I funneled think. towards campaign ads that paid off for him in the end. Yeah,
1: and uh, but again, I think I think the down you know below governor in particular, although it's somewhat in governors governorship, but below governor in particular, a lot of it has to do how hard you work and how you what your name idea is and it's not the other candidates didn't work hard it's just that he's been going towards this for a long time um, you know we saw uh, something similar I think in some ways or something similar and different in, in in this in the same uh, candidate in the insurance commissioners race which is another one that I thought you know three candidates running as Republicans in that race uh, one of them endorsed um By the current insurance commissioner and heavily funded by the insurance um, and sundry in industries um, comes up against uh, two uh, Republicans, one self-funded in Jim Beck um, and. you know, Jim Beck ends up winning without a runoff. Uh, I I thought again that was another race where I was like, ah, it's probably going to be a runoff.
0: And the Democratic side, um, you had Cindy Zeldon who had the majority of the money, the, you know, the the grassroots organization, the endorsements, who lost.
1: Right, right. It was and that that that's. I mean, I almost wonder if that's why the person was running against her had her name first on the ballot. Because yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, or maybe she did work really hard and and you know. That was but but Cindy Zeldin raised more money, uh she had a lot of signs up, that kind of stuff. But she went to all the forums. Right. Um so you know
0: politics is weird. It just sometimes the people the the candidates that that work the hardest, it doesn't work out for them. And you mentioned McCoon earlier, and he he did the same thing. He'd tweet and send me pictures of him going to some small radio station in Tunnel Hill, Georgia. Oh yeah. Or Bainbridge, and he was just all over the place. He was at every single rally you could possibly get to. But he also had a fundraising gap between him and uh some of the leading candidates and brad raffensperger uh who, who is worth many millions of dollars has pumped some of his own personal fortune into the campaign and used it for a bunch of ads near the end and uh you know it helped him get to that spot in the runoff
1: yeah we, the, the the money game in this um because of the way the prim, the timing of the primer is just kind of it's a little bit hard to gauge we knew going in for instance in the governor's race that 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 Casey Cagle had been raising more money than anybody else by like a huge margin. And it was the candidate of the the special, capital crowd, as I call them, I mean, a special interest in lobbyists and you know, whatnot, kind of the people that generally support the the guy who wins, um, or the woman who wins. Um, and it's, it's, but it's a little bit tougher in the down ballot races because the under state law, you don't have to file a disclosure, um, after march 31st you essentially have two months of fundraising that go into and, and spending we don't know what people spent um before the primary and in fact we won't know what people spent on the primary until sometime in july, july right because, the of the, because of the the way the state reporting law works so it's a little bit harder to tell i think you know who had the big advantage and who didn't have the big advantage
0: Yeah, and if you go further down the ballot, it's even hard. It was even more unpredictable, and we had eight house incumbents all get ousted, and some of them are really surprising. One of them you wrote a lot about over over your career, Uh, and that is Johnny Caldwell, who is a uh, a long and battled judge. judge. Yeah,
1: former judge who uh, I believe resigned after sexual harassment complaint, um, then got into office as a state legislator and promptly. uh, push legislation to to um, abolish the uh, board that went after him <laughs> as a judge, investigating him as a judge. Um, and I, if, I, if I remember correctly, he didn't have an opponent last time around. After he after mm-hmm. he uh, went after the judicial qualifications committee commission, I think that's what's called. J- JQC, the J-QC. judicial qualifications. Yeah, qualifications so commission. I mean, and so, so he didn't have an opponent last time, so he got beat.
0: Yeah, he faced Ken Pollan, who was a state committee member of the Georgia GOP. So you could say he had some establishment support, um, but also tried to paint Caldwell as sort of a fringe candidate who who couldn't bring home the bacon for his district. Yeah, well,
1: and another one that I found interesting, you know, you, I, I, as I was reading down the list of elections, and it's right at the end because I think it's one of the last districts, like 180 or 179 or whatever, was Jason Spencer losing. And the reason I thought that was interesting was, uh, a few years ago, the, the House Republican um, a lot of the House Republican establishment went after Jason Spencer because he was kind of a, a little bit of a doctor no where he voted no on stuff that they really wanted. They didn't beat him that time. This time, I don't I don't I, didn't, I haven't looked at his disclosures, but I don't think it was like a landslide that the, you know the leadership didn't want him necessarily to get rid of him and this time he loses.
0: Yeah, uh, to Stephen Saines, who's who's an executive director of a community planning agency, uh, who kind of ran as the, as, the, as the Republican who could get things done in the Capitol, as someone who's not been ostracized by party leadership. And again, even as even though party leadership wasn't necessarily having their targets trained on him, um, he uh, he ran as someone who can who can you know bring home the bacon, who who can who can pass policies, and who wouldn't necessarily upset. Uh, the establishment, which
1: didn't well. work in the uh, Matt um, Matt Gertler race. That's where, been the big. where like the entire. I mean, you know, who's who's list of House leadership gave money to his opponent, and uh, he ended up winning re-election. So let's
0: talk about that one. That's Matt Gertler, who is known as pretty much Doctor No, Mister No, in yeah. the state legislature. He voted no more than any other lawmaker by far,
1: forty like percent, I think.
0: Yeah. So he was just no after no after no uh,
1: against the budget. He voted against the budget. And, uh, and it's neither no guy that the the, the, the guy that uh, accused the chief of staff of pulling money, uh, yeah. from him because he voted against the budget, something like that.
0: He ticked off Chris Riley, who's probably the second most powerful person in the Georgia yeah. Capitol. He's yeah. he's the
1: not probably <laughs>
0: <laughs> who's the uh, the top aide to Governor Deal. I say probably because some people say he might be even more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but Won't yeah, so it. he's ticked off really the the heart and soul of the Republican Party in Georgia. Both House Speaker David Ralston and Governor Deal appeared not just endorsed his opponent, but also appeared at a fundraiser up in nor- the North Georgia Mountains uh, for uh, f- his opponent, and and yet Matt Gurler still held them off.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we had, we wrote a story on it in the uh, JC and we um, talked to residents of the district, and there were there were people there that just said, you know what, we like the fact that he's not, you know, going along with the party, and I think there's something to be. You know this, it, you can that's something you can sell. There's, there's areas of the state that may say, Well, you know, we want somebody that can get stuff in the budget or we want them to pass legislation, and there's other areas of the state where they're just like, You know what, we want somebody to go up there and say no or say, You know, stop some of the stuff that's going on.
0: And on the democratic side, some of the bigger I don't even know if the word surprise uh, is, is the best way to characterize it, but the vanishing white male democrat, uh-uh. um, yeah, there are. Uh, Steve Henson, the statement, the Senate Minority Leader, barely held barely. off an opponent
1: against the uh, was a dancing preacher. Yeah, um, yeah, his
0: the that means he'll remain the he'll be the only white male Senate Democrat uh, left because State Senator Kurt Thompson lost by a big margin to a, a rental property manager named Sheikh Rahman, who grew up in Bangladesh and moved to the U.S. in 1981. Um, he this is not his first foray into politics. He actually got himself a seat on the uh, the Democratic National Committee by beating a well known Democratic uh, operative here here in Georgia. Um, so he he becomes the first I think it's the first Muslim elected uh, to the Georgia Senate. Um,
1: yeah, th- th- that speaks to those districts though, doesn't it? I mean, it's, those are those are districts that um are changing I mean you uh, it's it's like it's like Gwinnett County um in general Mm -hmm. that has for you know forever had Washington forever when I first got here in 1990 the Democrats were still in charge but um for the last 20 years have had uh white uh county commissioners school board members um all you know, virtually all Republican, if not all Republican, and it speaks to that that area in Stone Mountain, for that matter. You know, those districts that are much more diverse than they were 20 years ago, and um, you know, they're it's, it's. I would think it'd be much more difficult to win year after year if you have, you know, you get put good candidates in there. They're gonna yeah. Know.
0: And and down in Albany, uh, Daryl Elam, um, who who is uh, one of the few House de- white male Democrats in the in the Georgia House, he lost. To an African American challenger who cast him as way too moderate, um, who who used his NRA, he had a pretty high standing with NRA, who used that against him. And Doug Stoner, a former state senator who's running for a public service commission seat, just got trounced. Get hammered, yeah. And another former state rep, John Knoll, um, also got defeated in his bid for yeah, the PSC. The man
1: who uh, beat Billy McKinney. Yeah. So,
0: so there. So. Uh, uh, I was on another program um, with uh, Columbus Mayor Teresa Tomlinson, who who brought that up because it was a it was something I had kind of overlooked, but she goes, yeah, there's just there's there's a lot of the, suddenly the white male Democratic caucus has gotten a lot smaller. Um, and yet
1: who's head of the House Democratic caucus?
0: Uh, yeah, Bob Trammell. Bob Trammell. Um, Bob Trammell is the House Minority Leader, and he himself faces a pretty tough November battle because he's we, we always talk about the, the House districts, um, held by Republicans that Hillary Clinton won. Well, he's in one of the yep. few House districts held by Democrats that Donald, Donald Trump Trump won. Yeah. So he has his own face challenge, uh, stiff challenge ahead. So that'll be an interesting uh, uh, position to watch. But um, yeah, I mean, the, as, as the Democratic caucus gets more diverse and uh, and more progressive, um, you know, some of the old standbys, and it's hard to say that, like, Steve Henson, the Senate Minority Leader, is, you know, some moderate because he has a pretty progressive stance. And Kurt Thompson, who got defeated, certainly was right, no moderate. Right. I mean, he, he proposed uh, of marijuana, ma- marijuana, yeah. not just medical marijuana, but marijuana, yeah, just, period, yeah. recreational yeah, marijuana. Going right to it. Um, yet, you know, the party's changing. And uh, I think a lot of voters who saw, uh, who saw some of the incumbents' names on the ballot, you know, gave them a second look and said, is there someone better?
1: Yeah, you, it makes you wonder. You know, after looking at um, you know what Stacey Abrams did, is 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 the the model of um, not trying. You know, Republicans have long been accused in primaries of going to the going to the right, going after a certain you know the people mm-hmm. on one end of the spectrum. Well, maybe the Democrat. I mean, the Democrat Party is accused of the same thing, but maybe this is an example of. You know the, the how that actually has played out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, as you said, Republicans have long braced to their party's flanks, but Democrats hadn't hadn't really done that. And, and some of the positions that Stacey Abrams and other top Democrats have taken this year would have been considered unimaginable uh, by candidates just four years ago. And, and just to make sure I was right on that, I even called Jason Carter. Jason and, Carter and wouldn't he didn't show up with when, when Barack Obama came to town. He stayed away from him. He never advocated for. Um, you know, for, for some of the issues that Stacey Abrams has advocated for, like, like uh, you know, same-sex marriage, and, and, mm-hmm. and he called himself an NRA Democrat. But I, but I said, am I characterizing this right? He said, yeah, um, because it was. I mean, Roy Barnes um, taking some of the positions that Stacey Abrams has taken uh, would have been just shocking for a Democrat eight sure. years ago and is now the norm, and that's how we're seeing it, and for Democrats um, who are looking at flipping Georgia, they need something you know they're they're saying the same tried and true strategy is not working. I the, guess the question no on ends. that
1: though is, is is that you know we we all the assumption is always that the, that the parties run their extremes and they come to the center. Um, the fact that Stacey Abrams not going is 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 you know is not necessarily going to come to the center or you know he's going to run on her policies or her her platform. Does does um, Casey kale or Brian Kemp? I'm assuming I'm pretty sure Brian Kemp will, but whoever wins that race, do they stay on the right? Do they stay in the the far right? I mean, because that's essentially that race has been. You know, the issues where they've really tried to make political, not, not you know, economy or whatever, but the issues that they've tried to raise, you know, make a big deal out of um, have been kind of bread and butter issues for the conserv- very conservative opponents.
0: Yeah, I always go back to a question I asked at a debate um, in, in, in Flowery Branch when I asked all the candidates the same question. What would you— you know, what would you do to, to, to work with Democrats? And a lot of them gave different answers. Even Michael Williams, who ran as a, a Trump loyalist, said that there's room to work with Democrats on things like medical marijuana and, you know, some of the more, quote-unquote, consensus issues. Whereas Kemp said, I'm going to keep on tacking to the right, and if Democrats don't want to work with me on immigration and guns, then their they, voters will see they're clearly not in the right path. So that just shows you where, where sort of Kemp's thinking on, on that is. Kegel... Is going to keep on trying to talk, um, you know, two pronged strategy. I think he's going to aim towards the mainstream with economic issues and then target conservatives with his rhetoric and talk about immigration crackdowns and gun rights and his NRA endorsement and things like that. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, especially because he has wedded himself almost directly now to Go- Governor Deal. Um, and the two of them have been at odds over the years over a range of issues, including religious liberty. But at this point, um, suddenly Cagle's biggest ally could w- very well be Deal, who has so far stayed out of this, this runoff.
1: Right, when De- when Governor Deal puts out an economic development mm-hmm. announcement now saying, you know, 500 jobs in Dalton for something, you know, about three seconds after we get the press release on Governor Deal saying it, we have <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Cagle saying, and we brought you 500 jobs. I mean, you know, it's, it, they're, it's, they're like simpatico on, on things. I'm not sure... Th- you know I, i'm assuming there's not uh, necessarily the coordination that we may might look like but it certainly looks like that yeah um and you know the I, but I, I i guess on this you know in the primary race so we've had uh an immigration pickup truck we'd have we've had an immigration bus that broke down on the highway is Casey Kagel going to come out with like I don't know uh, immigration uh, 747 or big you know, rig? Yeah, I mean we <laughs> tractor trailer that we're going to put out there. I mean you know what? How far more? How far can you go on that? I mean you can probably go as you know <laughs> President Trump is showing going to go pretty far on it. But and
0: I think they're also going to start veering even more from policy to sort of overall um, management and personality issues. Uh, already you you, you have uh, Casey Cagle branding uh, Kemp as. Uh, it's incompetence, you know, not incompetence, but he's saying Kemp is in- in- incompetent. If you
1: can't say it, it's not. Well, I know it's, it's hard not really for you to good. Say It's it. not really. It's not going to work if you can't say it.
0: But uh, yeah, so you have you have that going on, and um, he's trying to say basically because he, he that he's mismanaged his office and he's mismanaged his his private uh, uh, dealings and with his own businesses, and you're going to hear that over and over and over from him over the next eight weeks, seven weeks, uh, with him trying to drive home that message, whereas. Uh, this is a little harder for Kemp. Kemp's going to continue trying to brand Kegel as a career politician, even though the two of them have offices across from the hall from each other <laughs> under the gold dome, and they've both been elected at least twice statewide.
1: Right, but he. on, on the other hand, you know, uh, uh, Kemp can point to who's been contributing to the Lieutenant Governor's campaign. I mean, his, his fundraising is extraordinary in some ways, but it's also – kind of he's become kind of the ultimate i'm trying to i'm trying to think back the last time i've seen a non-incumbent run for um governor in this state and have that kind of um you know almost blessing of the state house crowd i mean it's been you know it's been pretty impressive
0: and that's why this is going to be such a fun uh next two months so stick with us we're gonna have a lot more uh, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com backslash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia and get access to our daily newsletter along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. And as always, thank you for listening.
1: Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song.